Good day, one and all. Welcome to the Note Extractions Podcast with Qbox. That is I. And uh, this is the first uh, season, episode one. I'm just going to welcome everyone to this. I've never done a podcast before, so I'm really excited to uh, get this started. Basically, the uh, the reason why I created this podcast is so I can just rant about whatever comes across music. Um whether that be uh, artistry, like going over different artists, uh, different albums, some of my favorite albums, and documenting uh, my opinions and my feelings when I come across them, or if something happens in the music industry that I want to talk about, then I'll talk about it. So that's kind of what I want to go over, and I will be having guests soon. Um, I just, you know, I've I just kind of started this on a whim, so we'll see what happens, and. So today is a uh, is kind of the welp- welcoming topic. Don't mind if I stutter. I my mind goes faster than my mouth sometimes, so it won't be as clean as uh, I want it to be. But today I'm going to be going over some of my favorite all time albums, um, my favorite all time artists, and I will specifically be talking about Daft Punk um, because it seems pretty timely. A couple days ago they announced their epilogue YouTube upload where we're taking from it the representation of the video is that they're splitting up and Daft Punk is no longer and it's been eight years since their last release of Random Access Memories so I'll be giving my opinions on that and keep in mind this is a very opinion-based show this is coming from me um there will be facts thrown in there if I uh have to like you know go over news um and just how, like, you know, what are artists' intentions? They're, that's a very gray area. It will be uh, opinion-based as well as maybe some factual, if there's any statements or something. I'll have some notes in front of me. But from then, it's just going to be rants. It's going to be just talking. And yeah, here you go. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Note Extractions. Today I'll be talking about some of my uh, my favorite all-time albums as well as some of the vinyl I own from those favorite all-time albums and some of the vinyl that I own um, that aren't exactly my favorite, but it's just awesome to have. Well, to get started, I guess um, I have my notes up here of my favorite albums, so I'm going to just go ahead and get started. Uh, the first one, and these are in no particular order, um, There's not, I don't really have a favorites list, it's just, well, it's just thrown all together. There's not really uh, a tier list or anything. So first I have, uh, Imogen Heap. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Imogen, Imogen, something like that. Uh, one of her first albums under this name, because she actually had a previous name when she started releasing stuff back in the late nineties. And this is the album speak for yourself. Now, if you don't already know, uh, she blew up under this name, under her real name, uh, because of a song called hide and seek she blew up because of that song and it was like in and of itself it's a dope song but then it skyrocketed even more because Jason Derulo sampled the end part for his song What You Say uh, for the chorus of that one 
And so that's what I find interesting is that, you know, she was already popular and then Jason Derulo, a rising R&B artist, came and sampled it. I hope there all was good there and there was money uh, involved that was thrown to her or at least permission asked because I've heard so many different things about uh, illegal sampling, stuff like that with major artists that do blow up and then they get sued and all sorts of stuff. Um, I'm just glad Jason Derulo pulled that off really well. I think he did really good with that, but... This album, Speak For Yourself, was a uh, an album that I slept to as a kid. Uh, my dad got me into Imogen Heap, and that was one of the first albums I ever bought on iTunes. And uh, yeah, I, I fell asleep listening to this album, especially because it had a huge electronic influence. And by that time, I had already gotten into electronic music, and I had a deep love for... Uh, her voice, especially her range, because she could hit my range as at, at the time being a uh, prepubescent boy. Uh, she could hit some of that, and then she could also hit extremely high notes. And what helped me love that album even more is the fact that when I was in choir in middle school, we actually had our student teacher uh, in middle school choir. She had uh, orchestrated a sheet music, like sheet music for the song hide and seek a four part where it involved uh the the big choir where it had uh the whole acapella choir soprano alto tenor bass we all had different parts and that was so much fun to sing and even one of my good friends at the time malia she had sung the really 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 high note uh, for the performance of it and that was by far one of my favorite uh middle school choir memories was singing hide and seek by imogen heap uh on sheet music so that's kind of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite electronic albums, but next in line for that is, uh, or probably right on the same level, is Coldplay Ghost Stories. Now, I know Ghost Stories isn't exactly their most critically acclaimed or even commercially sold album, but in my opinion, it's my favorite Coldplay album, and specifically talking about um, its electronic influence. Now, I think there may be a bias because I love electronic music so much. But this album was just so spectacular to me. This is another album I fell asleep to, especially the last track, Oh, um, and then leading it back through to the uh, the quote-unquote bonus track at the end of that song, which the original Oh, like the song, is three and a half minutes, but the actual track itself has another three minutes of silence and a, and a minute of looping back to the first song of the album's totaling at like seven and a half minutes. Um, this album was so sick. I don't care that it that it's their uh, least critically acclaimed album, least sold album. It's my all-time favorite Coldplay album because every single track on there has a specific memory attached to it. And just the whole sound of the album is just beautiful to me. The way Chris Martin um, incorporated electronic sounds for the first time like i knew they were kind of diving into it as their discography kept going along but this was a full-fledged electronic based album yeah they did have guitar they had bass guitar um but this was very 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 electronic influenced and it's just it intrigues me and i love how uh chris martin's mindset was because this was the album he created after he divorced gwyneth paltrow and that was uh, I, you know, I don't really know too much about it, so I won't speak on it, but this album coming after divorce made for some amazing songs. 
Um, I know their only critically acclaimed song was A Sky Full of Stars, but that in fact is my least favorite. I really don't like the pop sound of it. I really loved the rest of the album and the fact that it was uh, avant-garde electronic pop. So that's that's why that's held dear to my heart is that uh, Chris Martin's headspace was like this and uh, it made for some amazing electronic music. Next in line, uh, at least list-wise, this definitely doesn't fit with the electronic vibe, I guess. But Tyler, the Creator, is one of my most influential artists, uh, in my opinion. There is maybe one or two other artists that reach him in my personal life. Um, every single one of his albums, including his Bastard mixtape, uh, were just so spectacular to me. Uh, uh, even though I'm still, I still feel like a teenager, I... I can easily appreciate every single album here. Bastard is his raw um, teen angst just put onto this uh, this insane record. Uh, he produced every single track, uh, and that's something that he needs to be acclaimed for on every single one of these albums where he had uh, produced every track or even had some you know help with it but he produced and arranged pretty much every single track in his discography. And that's something he should be praised for. And I'm glad he did. Uh, he finally got the attention he deserved with Igor and the Grammy win. I'm so proud of him for that. Tyler, the creator's image and his mind space, the way he makes his music just intrigues me. It inspires me as an artist. Um, he had a huge part in inspiration for, uh, my album that's coming out soon. I'm not done with it yet, but Tyler, the creator had a huge influence on that. And it was by far one of my favorite concerts to go see. I had not really, uh, become a fan of him until about two or three years ago. And I finally got to go see him at, uh, the Dallas Igor concert and golly, that was insane. I absolutely loved that album. And it is by far one of my favorites. Igor, Igor is an amazing album. And the tour that came along with it was even better. I absolutely loved that album. Um, like I said, I love every single one of his albums, but I gotta give it—I gotta give it like a rank here because you know they're not all the same. You can't judge them from the same perspective because they have such different sounds and there's an actual progression. But the—I uh, feel like there's a common um, opinion when it comes to the pair of Bastard and Goblin. I kind of agree with that. I agree that Goblin is more of just a commercialized Bastard. Bastard had a raw sound and feel to it because he didn't have the fame attached. But as soon as the fame from Bastard got to him, he decided to take Bastard and try and push forward on the, the teen angst. And so I feel like it doesn't come off as genuine on Goblin. But I do absolutely respect that album, and I really love some of the tracks on there. She is one of my favorites, obviously because it's featuring Frank Ocean, and I'll get to Frank Ocean later. Um, but uh, Transylvania is amazing. I absolutely love... Um, I mean, Yonkers is his biggest uh, blow-up song. That's what got him on the map in the hip-hop industry, and there's much to be respected about that, especially here and now that that song was a joke. Like that song was just a freestyle that he had come up with and then recorded. And there you go. It, it was paired with a dope music video or really a grotesque one. But, you know, you know what I mean? I thought it was dope. 
but yeah. Uh, and if you go move on to Wolf, Wolf is probably my least favorite, to be honest, of all of them. But that's really only because like I didn't find the sound of it to be as pleasing or as interesting as the rest of the albums that I came across of his. But uh, still, it's very respectable. I really loved the intro track. I believe it was called Wolf, I want to say. Uh, I think it was the title track. But the title track had just these sick, like, instruments. And it was probably the first time I had seen him come out with more orchestration rather than beats. Now, that's something that inspired me. Because listening from the progression of these reason and garage band sounds like 707 instruments from bastard and goblin moving over into more real life instruments that was really cool and how he incorporated that into the sound of the album although i didn't particularly enjoy it in my free time i think he came out with some insane bangers with that album and the story progression was really cool um i gotta say cherry bomb though cherry bomb although met with you know, very, very mixed reviews. Uh, upon first listen for me, yeah, I felt mixed. But on the second time I listened to it, I fell in love with it. I mean, even the title track, Cherry Bomb, how distorted it is, it's something just just so cool. Especially because uh, knowing that this was the album that he always wanted to make, that made me love it even more because I knew this was coming straight from his heart. He really wanted to make something as distorted like this, something just opening his mind to what he can do, using his DAW uh, however he wanted to, make what he thought sounds good. And that's something that I really appreciate about this album. Especially, the the mixing choices were really interesting. The fact that some of the songs, his vocals were very buried in the mix, and you couldn't really understand him, that's what drove me to want to find out more about the album, the history of it, and what he's actually saying in it. What is he talking about? And that's why that album particularly, to part, geez, particularly um, intrigued me. And that's why it's probably one of my favorite Tyler albums. Now, Flower Boy, as we continue, Flower Boy was the album where I fell in love with Tyler. Now, I know that sounds pretty cliche because everyone's like, oh yeah, Flower Boy is definitely his best album. I mean, you can't, you gotta forget about Igor, bro. You drive the McLaren, bro. Do you drive? Man, I think I'm gonna get the McLaren, man. I, I think I might go get that, man. Like, <laughs> so dope. Like, so do you drive? Do you drive? I'm like, what? No, nah, I'll drive. Oh man, you gotta get the McLaren, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Flower Boy, um, although I know is the stereotypical go-to Tyler album because it's so commercially available and everything. Um, I I really love this album. It was definitely a different step. It was a whole step from Cherry Bomb to Flower Boy. There was a huge jump to be made there, where Cherry Bomb was probably, you know, comparable to a Death Grips album. Uh, Flower Boy is probably a Taylor Swift record. <laughs> so it's like this huge jump of sound. And I fully, I, I believe he did such a great job doing that. Um, even though he's not the best singer, you can easily tell that he had so much emotion put into his vocals, whether it's rapping or singing or pseudo singing, however you want to call it. He did just an amazing job on this album. The sound he produced with it and the fact that he produced the entire thing uh, the, it's the intricacies that got me for this album. 
especially since each track flowed into the next like uh like it was a car drive i know that's what he was going for it was this trip he was taking it was an album that you can listen to on a car like a long car trip or something and that's what he wanted the album to sound like that's why there were so many car noises you hear um I'm forgetting what his name is. Is a comedian that uh, is hosting golf radio that you hear in the transition between, I believe, where this flower blooms into. Uh, I want to say it's where this flower blooms. Yeah, where this flower blooms into. I ain't got time. I believe that's the the track order probably, but that little section in there is what is probably one of my favorite little bits in there is that he somehow got the. Um, the track to smooth over into the next that's that's another reason why i'm inspired by tyler's because of his uh, album sequencing and i'll talk about frank ocean later with that as well because that's another thing i really love about him is the album sequencing it's a lost art but there are some really 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 amazing artists out there that are pulling this off with stride and tyler the creator is definitely one of them he's done a great job with album sequencing ever since bastard um, but Flower Boy is definitely his most commercially appealing album, and I definitely does. I think it deserved the respect it has and the love that it has. Although it has become a bit stereotypical of Tyler fans to gravitate towards this album uh, for their favorite ones, but I have to say that Igor is my favorite. Igor is my absolute favorite, even though it's his most recent. I think it's him at his most mature. I think Igor is just this beautiful blend of R&B soul especially neo soul neo soul he has had a grip on since bastard you can even hear igor in bastard at certain points because uh, if you listen to the song french you can easily tell that the neo soul aspect the pharrell williams ins inspiration on tyler is is apparent now igor is that in its full fleshed out uh form Igor talks about a love triangle where he doesn't feel appreciated. He feels he ha he's being held on to, like he's being uh, controlled by his love for another dude. And it's just an amazing storytelling album. And I remember posting this on the Igor Genius page. Uh, I'll read it here in a sec. Let me pull it up real quick. So I pulled up Are We Still Friends? And it's, uh, it's Genius page. And I have a comment from literally two years ago, whenever I first went through the album. Um, just to preface this, I I love music theory. I've been a huge music theory dude for a, been a minute. Obviously, there's people better than me at this, but I do understand and appreciate the music theory behind how music is made. And uh, I gave my take on this album. Uh, on Are We Still Friends' Genius page. And here's what I said. Crazy thing about the last 10-15 seconds of the song is a the music theory behind it. If you have the album on repeat with Igor's theme immediately after this track, the last note of this song, being the same synth as the opening synth in Igor's theme, is a perfect fourth below Igor's theme's 15-second synth making a half cadence. In music theory, the half cadence gives the feeling that the narrative isn't finished, as well as giving off an unresolved tension. This implies something will come next to complete the narrative. What this can mean in relation to the question the title presents is that if the partner answers, one answer could lead to repeating the album and the emotions and feeling behind it. Or who knows, Tyler could have fully moved on and the album wouldn't have to repeat the album. Just thought this was interesting. Now, that was my... Um, 
that was my take on the music theory behind the entire album. Now it's just the the looping aspect of it. You don't necessarily have to loop the album, but it's just really intriguing the fact that the album starts on this one note. It's 23 seconds long, 23 or 26, I'm forgetting. But it's this one long note, this one distorted bass note going for 20, 23 or 26 seconds in the beginning of the album. And at the very end, you get about 10 to 15 seconds of a perfect fourth below it. So if you consider the title, or sorry, the first track, Igor's Theme, to be one in music theory. If you want to consider that being the one chord and you end on a five chord on Are We Still Friends, the last note could be five. You, you have yourself a half cadence. And so what that does for the album is it creates this ulterior narrative where, say, the... the the friend he's talking to, the love interest he's talking to answers and says, yeah, we're still friends. Now that could imply that we'll have to repeat the album in the emotions leading into this toxic cycle um, that Tyler has found himself going through this cycle of uh, a toxic love triangle. But if you go the alternate route and, you know, he's finally moved on, you wouldn't have to repeat the album. It would just be, you know, maybe it's left unresolved. Maybe it just is. So we'll see what happens. I hope I hope this year, 2021, I really do hope that Tyler comes out with another album this summer. Um, if not, I'm going to be really disappointed because I'm counting on it. <laughs> but, you know, that's Tyler, the creator. Um, he's an amazing artist. There's so much love for him. Uh, even though, you know, he was very brash, his, his transformation from being teen angst, brash all the way till, uh, lovey dovey Tyler and Igor. It is just an amazing transformation. Now, another album that I really, really love is Denzel's Denzel Curry's taboo. That album is sick. It's split into three parts. I believe it's light gray and black. Uh, the vinyl is really cool, gotta say. It's very dope-themed. Um, Taboo has kind of fallen out as one of my favorites, not gonna lie. This is a... Uh, I started this... I don't remember when, but it's definitely not updated. I really should have titled this not my favorite all-time albums, but more of my favorite all-time album inspirations and some of the albums that stuck with me. Um, Denzel Curry's Taboo is amazing. I loved these. I, I mean, he even had a story to tell with Taboo. And I never really thought of Denzel Curry as a storytelling artist, but he really came out, pulled through with this. I don't listen to Denzel Curry too much anymore with his new... Uh, I never listened to Unlocked with Kenny Beats, but Taboo is by far my favorite Denzel Curry record. The entire image and aesthetic of it uh, being that he is a showman in the circus that is hip-hop and him having to deal with all of this being thrown thrown these things like you gotta you gotta take pills you gotta follow the industry you gotta sign you gotta do all this sorts of sorts of stuff and you'll end up using yourself until you die or kill yourself kind of thing my goodness he really has a nice a very a very very uh intricate storytelling arc with this entire album now when i went through the track list you know there's supposed to be three different albums light gray and dark kind of uh aesthetic to it 
but the beats didn't necessarily match. It kind of felt like it was all one project rather than three, but you know, I know his storytelling is different with that. But some of those beats inspired some of my favorite beats that I've created uh, for my homie Little Limbo, uh, especially the Rager ones like the Blackest Balloon, uh, Black Metal Terrorist. Those are dope tracks. Those instrumentals were highly inspirational to me. And I, I, I respect Taboo uh, in and of itself and all the genres that he wanted to throw together. And he created his own sound with this album too. Uh, the next one I have, uh, there's, you know, it actually hasn't been updated. Now we're going to go over Kanye West. Kanye West is dope. I absolutely love Kanye. Uh, I've just recently started to <clears throat> have this growing appreciation for Kanye and his entire discography and the way he goes about making music. My two favorite albums on this list is are Jesus is King and Yeezus. Now, I'm starting to become more fond of Life as Pablo. The Life of Pablo, sorry. Um, I have now a deep appreciation for The Life of Pablo uh, just because of its entire sound and his headspace. And I'm starting to become really fond of Kid See Ghost that collaborates with Kid Cudi. Now, Jesus is King is one of my favorite Kanye albums. Now, it's not biased with the fact that I'm a Christian, and I was very happy, very excited to see that he came out uh, as being saved and believing in Jesus Christ. I just knew that this was the culmination of his back and forth between, you know, knowing God and yet still choosing sin. I thought it was intriguing because he talked about it a lot. You can't lie to me when you, uh, if you were to go over his history in his music and say that, no, God wasn't there in his music at all, when in fact it was. He had mentioned that he does believe in God, but he considered himself a God. And he considered himself a ruler, this person that needs to be idolized. But then in this album, he humbles himself to the lowest point and even though it's not necessarily a story, it's just so insane to see this transformation of Kanye West from this uh, nihil not nihilistic, this, se this self-centered, self-absorbed um, jerk in his music to this humbled, God-fearing individual creating art. Now that's something very inspirational to me, considering I am kind of a Christian artist. Uh, I'm a Christian that just makes art. So that whole Kanye West interpretation for me was very inspirational. I won't go too much into the into those albums, but I really do want to say I really appreciate them. And it's funny that my two favorite albums of Kanye's were his most humble and then his most bodacious and arrogant. Jesus, then transferring over to Jesus is King. So there's that. <laughs> my next on the list is Daniel Bedingfield's Gotta Get Through This album. Now, this is really old. This is like, you know, 2000s R&B, early 2000s. Daniel Bedingfield doesn't really have a hold on me as an artist or as a listener, but this album has uh, was introduced to me through my dad. My dad let me have this album um, to listen to. And one of the songs on it called If You're Not The One has become me and my girlfriend's song like this is a song i'm gonna sing to her on our wedding night that sort of thing and the entire album has so many dope bangers on it like it's all just like you know uh acoustic 
type. It's very acoustic. It's in a very it's a very acoustic album uh, with very pop influences. If this was considered pop, it'd be one of the only pop albums I'd appreciate because I really do not like pop music. But since this came out so long ago, there's this huge nostalgia feel to it. And I'm not mad. I'm not mad about it. I really love it. I really love this album. Um, the next on my list is Dead Mouse. Dead Mouse has had some amazing albums. He was, uh, let's see, one of my, uh, another one of my first albums I ever bought was Four Times Four Equals Twelve. That album was insane to me. Uh, it was my first introduction into house music, and I love old house music like this. Um, Dead Mouse. And his entire image was part of the reason why I wanted to spend my allowance on making my own headset, like my own helmet. But, you know, I'm not going to do that. That's that's really expensive. Whatever is a waste of money. But his entire image and his sound was so cool. And I could do my homework to it. I could do my homework to 4 times 4 equals 12, that entire album. And another one of my favorite albums of his was the While One is Less Than Two album. That one was really cool because he started messing around with different time signatures and more surprising effects where one of my favorite songs on there is Creep and that's in 7-8 time. And I, I found that to be extremely interesting for a electronic song. You never hear different time signatures in electronic music. You know house music to be four on the floor, kick drum, you know, one, two, three, four kick drums you know it's it, it just it's a constant beat going throughout the entire thing but he progressed from doing that and becoming you know becoming big in clubs for that to more expressive music and eventually leading to scoring an entire netflix sh uh was it show or movie or something like that uh, i don't remember what it's called but holy crap i'm very glad that he decided to become more expressive and you know experimental especially considering if you go through his catalog of music golly he has an insane amount of music it makes no sense uh, in fact it's not even fair how much music he puts out but you know with every project that he does release there's a lot of quality to it and each and every album is you know all, all it all sounds if you really wanted to put it into bare terms it all sounds kind of the same but with different chord structures different uh ideas being thrown out i think his entire discography is really cool even though it's gonna take you a long time to listen to all of it because there's so much music uh dead mouse is very influential one of the giants the influential giants of electronic music as well as skrillex i'll get to skrillex here in a minute as well my next one is kb's uh tomorrow we live I used to really love KB. He's a Christian rapper, but he's a very introspective Christian rapper. I think he deserves more appreciation for his music. Tomorrow We Live, that album came out, I believe, in 2015. That was one of my first physical albums I bought, which was on CD. Uh, I even went to his concert to buy the album. And I had this CD in my, what is it, my radio CD player when I was a kid. Another, This is another album I would fall asleep to because I didn't really have a phone on me or nothing. I would have my iPod shuffle or my iPod, uh, just a weird iPod thing or whatever. But this is one of my physical copies that I throw on my CD player and I would just listen to. Um, and this album was really good. This was by far his most 
non-hip-hop album that he's ever made. Non, like I cannot express how much non-hip-hop it was. There were a couple uh, tracks on there that were hip-hop influenced, but he did tell a story with it in his walk with God, um, and especially touching on subjects as in suicide, um, depression, uh, his love for his kids, and just the, his feelings around his wife and his kids. And it was just a really dope album. I got to say, it was one of my favorite Christian albums of all time. But up next, we have um, Skrillex and his discography. Um, my favorite albums, I mean, you can really consider them EPs or albums, depending on what you want to consider them. But uh, was it Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites, More Monsters and Nice Sprites, Bangarang and Recess are my favorite Skrillex projects. All of them have a specific sound and a specific time where they were made. And so you can remember when these were released vividly. They're, these albums have a specific time period attached to them whenever they were released and whenever I first got into them. I remember first hearing uh, Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites, the title track to the album it was released with uh, back in seventh grade, actually. I was introduced to dubstep. That was my first ever uh, introduction to dubstep was one of my old friends had showed it to me on his iPod and I fell in love with it instantly. It's dark brooding sound was something I'd never heard before and yet its complexity had intrigued me. And so that's when I started listening to that album uh, incognito because my mom really, really, really did not like him. Uh, especially the dark music that it was. And I understand that now, but I would not be here without that. I would not be here without dubstep and electronic music. Now, the next uh, artist and album, whatever, would be Van Halen 2. Now, I don't know why I put this on this list, but I think I know why. It's probably because my dad gave it to me physically so I can listen to it on this weird karaoke machine that played CDs and I'd also listen to it at night. Um, so it was kind of more of a nostalgia thing. It was probably, you know, they, they had some jams on there that I loved, like Jump. Obviously that song is critically acclaimed by them, but this album was really cool and it kick-started my love of rock music and now I have... A Spotify playlist, a personal playlist that's over 12 hours long of nostalgic rock music that either came from my dad's influence or Guitar Hero or just my general deep dives into artists whenever I feel like it. So there's that, I guess. Now, the next one is very odd. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic, Alpocalypse. This album is very, is held dear to me. Uh, oddly enough, because, you know, it's parody. It's parody music. It's funny. It's supposed to be funny. It's uh, made by a comedian. Uh, I love Weird Al. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic, in fact, was my very... Uh, one of my very first concerts I ever went to. I was 12 years old, and my dad took me for my 12th birthday to go see uh, to go see him for his Alpocalypse tour. And that's, was, this was a CD that I had gotten... And I loved it. It was hilarious to me. And the fact that he had parodied a lot of different music, pop music, it was hilarious to me. 
and I don't know why I put it on this list. Again, I think it's probably because of my childhood nostalgia of this album, and I really appreciate parody for what it is. It's taking real music composed by artists and then not really mocking it, but making something different of it or just changing it up. Legally, it's fair. There's actually a whole act. There's a whole legislature, you know, music legislature uh, document that protects parody, which I think is really cool. So I that's probably why it's on there is because of the nostalgia. Um, but the next one I got is Mac Miller's Circles. Now, I know this is his uh, his posthumous album, but there's a lot I can say on Circles. Circles is an absolutely astonishing record. This one is held dearly to me, and I even have the physical copy, the vinyl for it. Uh, I never really knew who Mac Miller was before he died, except for his watching movies with the sound off uh, album. I really liked that album but I never really knew entirely who he was or listened to his entire discography before he died. But whenever I knew he died, he had such an, ins an inspiration on my production, specifically from the Watching Movies album. But when uh, his estate released Circles, I knew this was genuine because there were plenty of records, posthumous records from rappers that were so horribly done by their estate. In fact, it's a disgrace to the artist. Juice World comes to mind. X comes to mind. Lil Peep comes to mind. Those albums that were released posthumously for me were forgettable, easily forgettable. Let Us Never Die, garbage album. Now it's not on Led. It's not on uh, Juice World's. Um, no, it's not his fault. His vocals and uh, melodies are absolutely angelic but they were mixed with mid beats, these very unrecognizable, forgettable beats. That's why that album was just so bad. X's Skins album wasn't very appealing to me and his Bad Vibes Forever album, even though I own a physical vinyl copy of it, I really got the copy because I like X in, as a whole. I really didn't like the album as a whole. I feel like it was just overdone. I feel like they were just trying to preserve his legacy, even though his legacy was already preserved. There was no need to release that album at all. So there's that. But then Lil Peep's Come Over When You're Sober 2 album, I feel like the album itself was okay, but what really tipped it off for me was the fact that uh, his estate and label uh, okayed putting X after he had passed his verse onto Sunlight on Your Skin, um, which was an original collaboration between I Love McConan and Lil Peep. That itself was cool. I liked that. That song was cool. But the fact that the label decided to release ahead of time the X version beforehand as a blatant moneymaker, that's what blew it for me, was the fact that obviously the label didn't want to preserve his music, they just wanted money. So that's something that I'm pissed off with. I really don't like how the music industry handles posthumous records and how they go about releasing them. But Mac Miller's estate did circles so well the producer and engineers that mac miller was working with did everything they could to preserve mac miller 
uh, in this album and complete the story arc of Swimming in Circles, the the, the double LP uh, story arc, story arc, storyline, whatever. Um, Circles is, is so awesome. I really love um, the more mellow production of it. Very, very much more mellow, much more warm. This production and mixing is just extremely warm. There's not really another word I could come up for. It's very warm and lush, I guess. Rather than his brash, frat boy production way back on kids and on watching movies. Very dark, very uh, out there production. He decided to go with his vocals carrying this... Um, in your feels type production. He did his his estate and everyone surrounding him after he had passed did such a great job with this album and they did it right. This was not for money. This was for solely per well, I mean obviously there was money involved because it was such a great record, but they did a great job preserving his legacy and what he really wanted to finish off his career with. And I'm very proud of that. That's why this album is so good and why it's on this list. The next on the list is uh, some albums by Lecrae. I really went through this uh, list talking about artists and their associated records that I personally like. So there will be multiple records grouped under one artist. But here you go. So there's Lecrae um, starting off with Church Close 1, the Church Close uh, EP slash LP. Now, when I say that is because the it was started out as a mixtape. Um, of a lot of unlicensed sampled beats that he used for a whole 19 track mixtape but then shorten it down to a seven track ep for official release now when i bought the actual album on itunes this was my first ever album i bought because it was the easiest i could get it was christian hip-hop my mom was fully on board with it even though she's a bit skeptical at first because it was hip-hop and there was no such thing in the uh, public eye as christian hip-hop so, but this is my first ever album I was allowed to buy on iTunes. And uh, I, I'm telling you, uh, I know all the tracks by heart, all seven of them on this officially released album. But whenever years later I went to, uh, uh, what was it, Christian Bookstore, I'm forgetting, uh, and I saw the Church Clothes album on CD. So I decided to buy it. And on the back, it had the seven tracks, whatever. I just wanted a physical copy of it. So when I bought it, I plugged it into my car. There were 19 tracks. So your boy Lecrae uh, dodged copyright and decided to uh, release all 19 tracks, unlicensed and licensed beats, um, onto a physical copy. I just thought that was amazing. But Church Close One was my first ever album I bought digitally and one of my favorite Christian albums to date. Uh, the second album on this one is Anomaly by Lecrae. That one was really cool. I really loved it. It was another album I bought of his, um, not physically, I wish I did though, but this was his most critically acclaimed album at the time where it had a lot of public notoriety and he, I believe he was nominated for a Grammy for this. I want I believe so and I'm not entirely sure but Anomaly itself was really nice its production was pretty lush and he talked about a lot of different subjects uh, dealing with um, being black in the United States and being black as a Christian which he went through a very rough patch after that album and he's now back on track 
but another album is All Things Work Together. That that album had some pretty cool bangers, but it was definitely his most commercially sounding album with a lot of more heartfelt production, heartfelt features. Tori Kelly was one on one of the tracks, as well as Ty Dolla Sign. But this was a nice change for CHH, Christian hip hop in general, because this was one of the first times uh, in the public eye where a Christian rapper decided to um, collaborate with a secular rapper and there's nothing inherently wrong with that i think that uh the song blessings with ty dollar sign was beautiful i really loved that song and i'm really for the uh the fact that lecrae took such a bold move in featuring a secular rapper on a christian hip-hop album and a christian hip-hop leading single for the album now it was very controversial at first but now people are used to it um in fact this is what me and my homies do we uh little limbo doesn't consider himself a uh christian rapper he considers himself an artist that's very christian based now that's a huge deal because although he does involve himself in christian hip-hop he's more an artist than anything although his number one uh his number one influence is god himself now that sounds a bit weird but that's just kind of how it is and lecrae was one of the first people to take that step and unbox Christian hip hop because right now Christian hip hop is very box. If you don't say Jesus enough times in your song, then is it really Christian hip hop? That's kind of what the public thinks of it. That's not true. You can make music with Christian influence. Look at 21 Pilots. Now, I don't personally like 21 Pilots at all. I've never really been a fan of them, but their background is very Christian based and they're, uh, they are still Christian based. Their music talks about stuff like that but they reach the masses by being secular even though they don't really curse or nothing it's just intriguing to me that you know they're not considered christian artists and they're considered secular even though that is very apparent that their lyricism is very uh biblically based so i just thought that was cool um this next one i have a lot to say about even though um, there's not really much to say about it. It's very strange. Um, the Caretaker, Everywhere at the End of Time. Now, if you have never heard of this, if you never have, I feel bad for you because this album should deserve more recognition. This album is so deeply underground. It is insane. This album is six and a half hours long. Now, when I say six and a half hours, I mean it. It spread over six individual projects, but then grouped as one album, one gigantic album. Um, the story behind this is that Leland Kirby, who uh, used the name The Caretaker for this, uh, this series of projects, had sampled uh, old ballroom music for this. And this is only available on Bandcamp. And you have to buy the album in order to listen to it. Um, but it, it goes through the six prominent stages of dementia. And it is a wonderful translation of the effects of dementia on one's mind put into music. I can tell you in confidence that I cried multiple times listening through this. And you will too if you listen to it. It is spectacular. Such an amazing ambient concept project took, uh, was it 
almost five years for the rollout to complete with all six projects. Um, it was just a genius album, I gotta say. Now the next on this list is, uh, everyone already knows this one, C418 Minecraft Volume Alpha. What is there to say about this that hasn't already been said? Probably one of the most legendary, one of the most critically acclaimed, the greatest video game soundtrack of all time, considering that this album is paired with the number one most sold game in history. Um, I don't know really what else to say about it because it's amazing, and that's pretty much it. Next on this list is Flume's Hi This Is Flume mixtape. Now, I've never really been a fan of Flume, to be honest, uh, but whenever last year, 2020, or like before COVID hit, uh, I took a trip over to Oklahoma City to go meet one of my artist friends, Drup. And in his room, he has a giant LP collection, vinyl collection. And I saw this very strange one with a car on front with waves. And this, it was just really cool. And I asked him what it was. And he said, oh yeah, that's the high, this is Flume Mixtape. You can find it on Spotify, whatever. And so I wanted to take a listen. After taking a listen, I fell in love with it because it was the it was peak electronic creativity. Flume had become so experimental with uh, with store like electronic storytelling. The album you can't tell when the previous song ends and the next song next song starts because it it just it just worked. It worked, and the sound the the. He just had the audacity to be so experimental. And it was just so daring and bold. But that mixtape is so cool to me. Especially the artwork. The artwork was really cool. Um, in fact, one of the songs, Ekdysis, has inspired some of my production, uh, electronic-wise. So be on the lookout for that. But that album is so cool. Next on the list is uh, Frank Ocean. Now, again... There is a lot to say about Frank Ocean. He is on the same level, if not bigger on my influence list than Tyler the Creator. He is absolutely phenomenal. There is no reason why this should just should not be on your top 10. The artistry, the pure artistry that is involved in his music is just phenomenal so my favorite albums for him are all of them now that sounds weird but i gotta go over this because um his debut mixtape nostalgia ultra you have that then you have uh channel orange which is a an actual commercially released grammy winning a project then you got Endless, which is the Apple Music visual album only released through Def Jam. And then Blonde, which was a commercially released independent record the day after Endless came out. Now, there's a lot of history with that. I won't go into it because it said uh, elsewhere on YouTube. But um, Nostalgia Ultra is definitely a great representation of him starting out as a pop R&B artist. You know, it was pretty, it was really cool. He had a unique voice. He had already been writing lyrics for Justin Bieber, Beyonce, and so on and so forth for Def Jam. But these albums are spectacular to me. Uh, my favorite album at the moment is Blonde uh, by Frank. I'm constantly listening to it. That's my, 
that's my number one favorite album right now as i'm speaking as i'm recording this it's my favorite album uh and that's very very hard to come across it's very hard for me to figure out what is my favorite album at this point in time because i listen to so much different music but blonde is my favorite album right now uh before that it was endless now i was able to get myself a copy of it not not physically i was able to download the video uh, the video album and actually put it on my phone uh, as an actual track list, just audio, no video. Um, but I fell in love with this project for how experimental it was for uh, Frank Ocean. His previous projects were very uh, orchestrated. They're very, you know, this is it's kind of a pseudo storytelling, pseudo. Like there was a a line connecting all of it, whereas this one felt like a notebook of ideas flipping through the pages it was very scrambled not very well formed ideas but they were ideas nonetheless and so it came across as me as like he just wanted to do what he wanted to do regardless of whether it met acclaim or not and that's when blonde came out blonde is my favorite frank ocean album the second obviously is endless but blonde is the best culmination of frank ocean in and of itself now, I hate the fact that he didn't release last year because now this year will mark five years on paper that he's since he's released uh, since he released Blonde and nothing else. He's released a couple singles, but since his brother passed away last year, I'm I'm sure he is taking time for himself. So I respect that. I just I, I can't wait to hear some more Frank Ocean, but I'll let him have his time because I definitely know he needs it. But just what's what is not to say about frank ocean one of the most mysterious ambiguous artists in this industry on purpose and one of the most influential pop r&b experimental artists in our generation he is amazing now next on this list is gorilla's demon days now this is someone old you've probably already heard this you know uh Dare, Feel Good Incorporated are in this album. Um, those are some of my favorite Gorillaz songs. But the Demon Days album is probably one of their most meta, one of their most... Um, just, uh, what's the word for it? Just probably one of the best projects overall. It had a great feature list. It had... Um, just this cool production this mix of uh alt rock mixed with hip-hop now that was kind of unheard of and the fact that they were this uh i mean damon albarn and this animator he was room rooming with or whatever decided to come up with a uh a cartoon band strictly cartoon i thought that was really cool and you know what's what it, What's there to say about gorillas that hasn't already been said because they're so big and so influential on the uh, on the music industry? Even though they were started as um, a mockery, a sort of satire against the music industry. So that's pretty much what Demon Days has done for me. It was just a, a sick album I would listen to throughout uh, middle school and high school because it just had some very nice mixtures of genres uh, in that album. So next on this list is actually very different. Jerry Mana, Legends of Lotus Wayward 2. 
This was by far one of my favorite Christian hip-hop albums as well, coming from an even more underground Christian artist. Jerry Mena, I personally have his number. Uh, I've collaborated with him before. Uh, I've produced a song for him. And my lord, I love his sound. Very video game influenced. Legends of Lotus Waver 2 has probably my favorite introspective uh, Christian hip hop bops, I guess. I don't like to use the word bop, but really, there's some really cool songs in here. Like Common Sense uh, is probably my favorite song off this album. Out of the Legends of Lotus Waver trilogy EP series, the second one's by far had the most. Um, songs that I personally appreciate and listen to on the daily. Next on the list, the one and only Lil Uzi Vert. Now, I really love hip-hop, but hip-hop wouldn't be what it is for me if it wasn't for Lil Uzi Vert. His uh, impact on melodic hip-hop is insane. So my favorite albums from him are probably his uh, LUV versus the World 1 and 2. 1 and 2 as well as Love is Rage 2. Because we can start with uh, Love versus the World 1 and say, you know, this is his start into his more melodic section of his career. Then Love is Rage 2 came and he started making more rager music, more hard-hitting, you know, still somewhat melodic. There was still the fact of, you know, the factor of uh, autotune, but he still made some rage music very 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 hype music but then when it came to luv versus the world 2 um which was the deluxe of eternal take see i liked eternal take but the additions with the luv versus the world 2 deluxe edition the songs basically the double album that it created overall made it better than eternal take because uh the almost not even like hardly melodic first half then adding all of these melodic stuff on the deluxe edition made for a very well like if you shuffled the album uh you would just get a nice mix of both sides of uzi and it's just so cool lil uzi has made probably my favorite hits of hip-hop of all time and i listen to him pretty much every day he has a huge chunk of my 12 hour uh hip-hop playlist <laughs> i can't lie but the next on this one has got to be The weekend, The weekend After Hours in particular. Now, there's a lot to be said about The weekend. You know, I never really liked his music for, you know, being the druggy, sexually driven music it was uh, in his earlier career. I still haven't listened to House of Balloons, but I'm planning on doing that trilogy. Um, but After Hours in particular is awesome. The fact that he went back and started doing more 80s synth pop um influenced sound he pulled it off very well and after watching his super bowl performance i was extremely surprised i knew he was going to be doing something so spectacular even with his own money attached to it after hours is one of the most influential albums on my own album the sound that he put out uh, actually had a little bit of um, inspiration on my own sound. My sound right now is pretty synth pop. Not exactly his kind of synth pop, but synth pop with hip hop influence. But his is very, very 80s influenced. And that, it was just a sick album to own. I have it on vinyl. So that's how you know I really like the album. Now next 
is probably an artist none of you guys have ever heard of. He goes by the name Waint, W-E-Y-N-D-T. Um, he has an alter ego uh, before, and he still uses it regularly. Uh, he goes under the name Allison, A-L-A-S-E-N. He made experimental trap beats for the longest time. Follows a formula of intro, uh, drop, then there's the midsection, drop, and then fade out. You know, it was pretty pretty standard, but the way he went about it, he made some of the hardest mixing choices and some of the sounds he would use were absolutely phenomenal for Allison. In fact, X illegally sampled one of his songs and looped it. I'd have to go into it later, um, but I know him personally. I know Wayne personally. He's dope as heck. Such a dope dude. I love his entire aesthetic. But X had taken uh, the first 16-bar piano loop for Ichor, I-C-H-O-R, which is the name of some sort of Nordic god, I believe. Nordic folklore. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure where the name came from again, but um, he had sampled the 16-bar opener loop all the way up until the drop. Didn't, you know, cut out the drop and then looped it. Then put his lyrics over. And that song has tens of millions of views, streams, whatever, on SoundCloud and YouTube. But then Allison got no credit for it, which really sucks. And that's what I hate about the music industry sometimes. I, that's what I didn't like about X originally, was that he sampled illegally and gave no credit, which he should. Even if he's not earning money, he should give credit to where his beats came from. So it really hurt to see that. But that's besides the point. Waint, his true ego, which is his last name, the album Taker. He's currently working on yet another album. This album is acoustic. It's very acoustic inspired, very live band, almost influenced. But there is not a single track on this album that I don't like. Every single track on this album I absolutely rave over. The sound that he came up with, even though he gets hardly any streams, if you look on his Spotify page, there's not much. It's just that album and, you know, a lot of his tracks have under a thousand streams. But this album is so good. It's so, um, oh, what's the word? Cohesive. That's what it is. The entire album is so gosh darn cohesive. The, the mixing of every single track is the same and it feels genuine. Uh, the songs he talks about, I actually talked with him on IG uh, and I had to ask him. It was like three in the morning because I was listening to it and I was like, hey, you up, dude? I, I want to ask like, like, I just want to ask you about the album. And I asked him about each track. Like, you know, I analyze the lyrics and I'm trying to understand where he's coming from. And he talks a lot about uh, he will write as third person looking at his own life, if that makes sense. Like he'll he'll create a story within a song, uh, almost second or third person. Like he's watching himself do these things and then he's writing about it. 
as if he's somebody else that's looking introspectively into his own life. But the fact that he uh, tracked a lot of his own stuff, guitar-wise, uh, bass-wise, I believe drums-wise, I'm not sure. But he's associated with a band um, that I am trying to get more into, the Taker album. I own... I whenever he announced he was uh, personally making t-shirts and cassettes, I bought both. I bought a cassette player and I specifically so I could buy the cassette because it was that good. And Wayne, if you're listening to this, I need to let you know yet again, you're one of my favorite artists of all time. And I think you deserve a lot more attention than you do right now. Even though you got so much attention with Allison, I think your true form, Wayne, needs more attention. And it's just that album is so influential to me. You have no idea. <laughs> I just I got to be real with that. Um, and last on this list is uh, Kendrick Lamar. There's two albums that I absolutely adore. One more than the other, but I still I still really uh, love his discography. And I'm still diving through, actually. I Let's see. The number one is To Pimp a Butterfly. That album, although rated a 10 by uh, Anthony Fantano, I do agree with him. Um, but that does not go over my uh, opinion on this album. To Pimp a Butterfly is Kendrick Lamar at his finest. Where it's not entirely hip-hop production there's a lot of uh funk disco soul r&b neo soul attachment to it uh talking about his rise from compton and him dealing with relations now that he's big and has money and even the untitled unmastered album which were kind of like b-sides to to pimp a butterfly some of the songs on there give a little bit of context to uh to pimp a butterfly's you know storyline but to pimp a butterfly itself has birthed some amazing tracks my favorite song off that album is you uh specifically talking about the second half where he sounds like he's breaking down he's breaking down while sounding drunk you can he literally hear the clink of the bottle uh against his hands or his ring or whatever um the sound of this album is absolutely amazing kendrick lamar's to pimp a butterfly has had a an influence on my album as well in my crafting of music his album sequencing has influenced my album sequencing just like frank ocean and tyler the creator uh and second on this uh, uh, for Kendrick Lamar is Damn. That album. Pulitzer Prize winning Damn is really cool. I don't think it's necessarily his best project, but it's really cool the story he tells from top to bottom. And then the public started having a theory in which was confirmed by a deluxe edition of Damn to where it tells a different story if you play it backwards. Very cool. Very interesting. Uh, theory yet confirmed um, it, it didn't necessarily have as much of an influence on my sound or on my life as to Pimp a Butterfly but overall it had some cool ideas beat wise it was definitely one of his hardest albums when it came to beat production and the overall sound of it 
but I really appreciated that album. So now that we're over with uh, the favorite all-time albums, I'm just going to like go through some of the albums that I own. Um, and that's going to be way shorter than this first section. So I own Tyler the Creator's Igor, Flower Boy, Wolf, and Goblin. I barely missed getting Cherry Bomb. I wanted to get it so bad when it came out five years after its initial release, but the website went down for me. I was not able to get it, which sucked. I wish I had the uh, ability to get the Cherry Bomb album. I own Denzel Curry's Taboo. I own Kanye West's Jesus is King. I I actually own a very rare uh, Frank Ocean album called Unreleased Miscellaneous. There's only 750 copies out there in the world, and it was a really hard-to-come-by album. Very, very, very rare find. It's still packaged in my... Uh, in my little box of vinyl. Uh, Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love, System of a Down self-titled album, as well as Toxicity. I didn't go over those earlier, but I should have. They just weren't on the list. Um, Death Grip's Money Store, as well as Mac Miller's Circles. Uh, there's not really much else on this notepad for that. I really need to go back and list every single vinyl album I own so I can actually talk about it later. But that's pretty much over with the first half of this uh, this podcast. And this is actually going to be kind of cool. I hope you guys enjoy the stuff I talk about. Now, that's this was just all my personal opinion on favorite albums, reasoning why I have vinyls of these albums and their impact on my life, my music interest, and my music creativity, my artistry, whatever. Um, but what we have to talk about today is Daft Punk. Daft Punk is dope now we all know that they are now disbanded it sucks it really does but you know we kind of expected it they had not put anything out in eight years since random access memories but you know we, we they've had an amazing run their entire discography edm electronic dance music would not be the same without them uh their discovery album put out house music that nobody else was making very sample based house music and then whenever they no sorry homework uh my bad homework was very sample based house music but then when they went to their sophomore album discovery that's more disco disco influenced disco tech house in uh, house club music but i'm very glad that they decided to you know be forward about it you know even though it was pretty uh, ambiguous the way they went about it, it was still pretty straightforward because, you know, the title of this called Epilogue on YouTube, and it was the end of their film that they had created uh, for, I believe, the one of like their second movie that they decided to do or something like that. I don't remember. I don't know the full lore behind that. But without them, electronic music would not be the same. Pop music wouldn't be the same. Uh and they've had just some amazing hits. And I do plan on trying to get the Random Access Memories uh, vinyl because the cover is really cool and the music inside is probably their most original. They decided to move backwards to move forwards where they would create their own samples by recording their own into tape recorders and then using those as samples, which I find very intriguing, very innovative for uh, electronic artists. Now, them breaking up, it shouldn't really be that big of a deal. Um, you know, they, they've had an amazing track record. 
there really shouldn't be too much emotion attached to it although it sucks whatever the iconic duo splitting up you know it's gonna be all over the news it's gonna be huge in the music industry they've won a grammy they've won multiple grammys for random access memories and they they've just had that you know quit while you're ahead type thing they were awesome they were amazing their influence on what today's music sounds like is great and if they split up you know what that's their legacy they've kept their legacy uh ambiguous and they've just done a successful job with it i know they didn't really particularly like the fame attached to it so that's why they kept their iconic duo headsets on so you never knew who was really under but they are a model they're they're a very nice model for uh people who don't like the fame part of music they want to make music for music itself and following them is probably a good idea if you don't necessarily want the fame attached to it it's just so intriguing to me how they went about doing that at first they were just shy whenever they would perform they didn't exactly have the personas that they did before they made the masks for the helmets and how grandiose and spectacular they were but you know since they split up you know they brought back bobby Schmurda. so i think that's a fair trade but i think what would work better is they need to bring back stardust stardust was a literal one track thing Lit like one track music sounds better with you uh one half of daft punk daft punk was uh part of stardust and it involved three members a vocalist and then two other guys i think a musician and then the other half of uh daft punk that song was so cool and if you look at their spotify page they only have the main mix and then the radio mix and that's it and they still have like a bunch of like a couple million listeners specifically because of those two songs they better bring that back they really they really need to if we're losing daft punk but, you know, there's not really much else to say about Daft Punk um, other than the fact that they're so influential in the music industry and with their amazing collaborations like Nile Rodgers and Pharrell Williams. Uh, I, I don't know. There's really not much else to say about them. But I think that might be the end of this first podcast. You know, I enjoyed doing this. I hope you guys enjoy it. And send me suggestions of what else I should talk about because that's what I want this to be. I want it to be a podcast where I can talk about stuff that I like and stuff that y'all want me to talk about. So if you hit me on Instagram at Qbox Official, uh, you'll be able to DM me there for more ideas. Uh, go listen to my music on this platform, actually. You can find it on YouTube and Spotify, this podcast, as well as all my music. If you go search Qbox on either, you'll find my music. I suggest you go listen to that stuff because I'm preparing for an album within the next couple of months. I'm almost done with it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this was the first episode of Note Extractions. Thank you for listening.